Well, Cedar Street Baptist Church, good morning. I love you very much, and I'm so very grateful uh, to be with you in the Lord's house today as we get ready to open up His Word. And uh, we are moving right along now in week number three of a four-week series that God placed upon my heart to preach to all of you. And that is a four-week series on the doctrine of confession. As you can see, the title of our sermon series is I Must Confess. I Must Confess. And by the way, just let me draw your attention to that picture that's uh, shown on the wall there. The first time I ever saw that picture, it was a canvas painting at the Paul Anderson Youth Home in Vidalia, Georgia. And there are a few pictures that have elicited such emotion inside of me. When I look at that picture and I think about... Uh, the adulterous woman just weeping at the feet of Jesus, cleaning his feet with her tears and drying it with her hair. That's a picture of confession. That's a picture of honesty. That's a picture of complete and total vulnerability before God. I remember when, uh, when Ashley and I were having premarital counseling before we got married, I remember the counselor saying to me, in your life, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there are two people and two people only that you should always feel that you can be completely naked in front of spiritually. And that is your spouse and your God. And God expects us to be honest with Him. And He expects us to be vulnerable before Him because He knows us. He knows every hair on our heads. He knows every single thing about us. He created us. He loves us. He knows us. And He wants us to be honest with Him about who it is that we are. That brings us to confession. And so if you haven't been here the past few weeks, let me catch you up real quickly. I said that I wanted to present the idea of confession from four different angles, kind of like a hologram. All right. We're looking at confession from four different angles. And two weeks ago, we opened up one of the classic texts in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. If you are familiar with the verse, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins... He who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the key word in that passage we talked about two weeks ago is cleansing. We need to be cleansed every week. Cleansed from our unrighteous thoughts, our unrighteous words, and our unrighteous actions. Well, last week we looked at uh, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, that talks about the concealing of sin and the confession that leads to the mercy of God. So two weeks ago, we talked about the need that we have to be cleansed by God. Last week, we talked about the need that we have to have the mercy of God because sin breaks things. And the mercy of God brings those things back together. And we specifically talked about the damage that sin does in our relationship with God, in our relationship with other people, and even in our relationship to self, how it is that we see ourselves. Sin ruins that. But when we confess and receive the mercy of God, He takes the things that are broken and He places them back together again. Well, in our third week, as we continue to study this doctrine, because it is so important, I I have not been at a church that has spent any amount of time talking about the need for confession. That's why God placed this burden upon my heart. I said, if I ever pastored, this would be one of the first things that I teach on, because God's convicted my own heart in my own life. So if we talked about the the cleansing of God that we need and the mercy of God that we need, that third angle on this hologram that we're looking at in confession, I want to talk today about the need of God's strength, the need of God's strength in our life. 
You see, sin takes a toll on the human soul and burdens us with a heavy weight that does serious physical, emotional, and spiritual damage to our lives. And when we, when we can refuse to confess our wrongdoing to God, the weight of sin, it robs us of the strength that we need to live the joyful and prosperous life that God intends for us in his kingdom. Thankfully, we serve a God who desires to forgive us and restore us. And when we offer him true confession with a broken and contrite heart, his forgiveness comes with a renewed strength that we need to live this abundant life that he's created for us. I don't want to live an hour of the day on my own strength. I want to live according to the strength of God. Sin robs me of that strength. Confession restores that strength. And that's what I want to talk about today. So we're going to be in Psalms. Uh, we're going to be in the 32nd Psalm, verses 1 through 5. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Psalm 32. And if you would stand in the tradition of this church and out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, inerrant, infallible word, turn with me again to Psalm 32, and we'll be in verses 1 through 5. Hear the word of the Lord starting in verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Let us pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. Father, thank you for this beautiful day that you have made. We thank you for the joy of coming into your house, of opening up your word, and considering what it is that your son has done, is doing, and will do for us if we would only stand before him and confess sin and our need for salvation. Father, I pray that you would be with us during this time. I pray that you would take my tongue captive, that the words and the honor and the glory would be yours. Father, I, I know as we walk now into week three that we've been considering this idea of confession. I pray maybe for those who've heard these words and have been unchanged that today something would, something would be different, that hearts would be changed, minds would be opened, souls would be convicted, that we could be honest before you, confessing what it is that we've said, thought, and done that does not bring you glory, that you would forgive us, that you would restore us, and that we would experience life in your strength. I pray this for myself, and I pray this for everyone in the room here this morning. Be with us at this time as we consider this truth according to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and God's people said, amen. As I mentioned a few moments ago, sin takes a toll on the human soul. It weighs heavy on us. It changes us. It makes us do things that we don't want to do. It makes us say things that we don't want to say. Sin is real. I, I see in the Scriptures all the time, even the holiest of men and women, I see Paul saying, I don't do the things that I want to do, and I do the things that I don't want to do. Sin makes us do that. It messes things up. Since the very beginning of time, God had such a beautiful and a perfect plan for us. 
He wanted us to live in his kingdom. You know, this morning in our perspective member class, we walked through this idea of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is a spiritual and one day will also be a physical reality. The kingdom of God is people who willfully come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. He's the king of our lives and we live for his glory and we do what it is that he has commanded us to do. And when we live in his kingdom, we can experience the full potential of what God created us to be as people made in his image. The kingdom enables us to achieve this potential. But sin limits us. It casts us out of his kingdom. It puts a weight on us that we cannot carry. And it forces us to live on our own strength, to do things our own way. And i got to be honest with you. I got saved at age 26. And 26 years was too many years for me to live life my own way. Because I came to the very end of my rope in 2006, working in baseball in California, staring out the window in these desolate hotel rooms out there in Southern California in the middle of nowhere, wondering what it is that I was doing with my life. I I didn't want to live that life. I don't want to live that life now. When I'm living in sin, I forfeit having the strength of God to live every day And I'm forced to live according to my own strength. And as I was reminded these past few weeks, as much like many of you in the congregation, I was under the weather and under heavy medication. I don't want to live according to my own strength because my my own strength is pretty limited. But the strength of God is limitless. And we need it to live the life that God has called us to live. I want us to consider three things today about our sins. And the first of those three things that I'd like us to consider is this. Number one, when our sins are hidden, our souls are wearied. When our sins are hidden, our souls are wearied. I want to read the first four verses of the passage again, and I want us to consider physical, emotional, and spiritual ways that sin wears us down. All right, listen to these verses. This is a psalm of King David. Listen to what David says in verses one through four. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now listen to these two verses in verses 3 and 4. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Let us consider these areas of physical, emotional, and spiritual weariness that sin does to our our souls. Number one, physical. He says, my bones wasted away. When we are living in sin and quenching the Spirit of God inside of us, there are physical consequences. When our lives are not right with God, it causes us to try to fill the void with something other than God. Sin causes physical addictions to take place because you were created, as I said a few moments ago, to have this intimacy with God. And when that intimacy is not there and you feel this void in your life, you'll do anything you can to fill that void with something other than God when you're living in sin. These addictions can be anything. They can be food. All right, We go to food to bring us a joy that only God can bring us. Some people go completely in the other direction and they become Physical fitness freaks because they they think their body has to be perfect for them to experience joy. For some, it's work. All right, For many, it's work. You bury yourself in your work night and day. You're always thinking about 
what you have to do at work. And when you're at home, you're thinking about work. And you just bury your mind and your heart in your work because somehow you think that's going to fill a void in your life. And it brings a physical strain. For some, you have such a fractured relationship with God, you begin to be delusioned to think that the problem in your life is your marriage. Now, let me say this out of full honesty. Even those who are in perfect union with God still have struggles in marriage. Amen? It's a, it, we're sinful. All right? A sinful husband and a sinful wife living together under one roof causes conflict. All right? And I don't know of a healthy marriage that doesn't experience conflict from time to time. But I will say this. We project all the issues and problems of our lives onto the ones that we love the most. And we can look at our spouse and say, the reason that I'm not happy is I married the wrong person. But when a person says that, it's almost a one-to-one correlation. When I hear a person say that, I know almost automatically that they have a relationship with God that is fractured by sin. And they've taken what is wrong in that relationship with God and they've casted it onto something else. For others, it's their job. I'm not happy because I'm not working the, where, the place I want to work. I'm not working for the person that I want to work for. I'm not doing the work that I want to be doing. If I just get another job, I'll finally be happy. Now, again, let me say, there are seasons in life where God will call us to a new job, where God will burden our heart and say, I, I don't want you working here anymore. I've got something else for you. But I can tell you as someone for 15 years who worked in the corporate world and did everything from manual labor to corporate marketing to broadcasting to writing. I mean, I've worked in five states and 10 or 11 cities and I've had so many different jobs and I've, I've had that burst of energy that first month in a new job where everything's exciting and you call your family and your friends and you tell them how, how much better your new boss was than your old boss and how much happier you're going to be. But over the course of time, we learn that job, no matter how good it is, it cannot fill the void that we have in that relationship with God. There's physical ramifications, and we run to all these other things when our life's not right with God. But not only physical, also emotional. You know, David says again at the end of verse 3, through my groaning all day long. Simply put, a genuine Christian can live a lifestyle of unrepentant sin, but they can't do it in peace. Somebody's asked me before this, this word that Baptists have made famous called backsliding. When I was a Lutheran and a Catholic and an interdenominational Christian, I never heard of this word. But when I became a Southern Baptist, I heard the word backsliding pretty quickly. Our denomination has made that word famous. Now, here's the question. Can a genuine Christian backslide? Can they fall into a season of sin? Yes. A genuine Christian can fall into a deep and dark season of sin. Here's the thing. They can't do it with peace. If you're a Christian and you have the indwelling Spirit of God living inside of you, you can't live a lifestyle of sin and live it peacefully. You can't. The people who are true Christians who are living in sin, they know deep down something's not right, and they may have certain moments of pleasure or joy in doing sinful things. But it can't last. It won't bring peace. It'll bring a delusion that somehow they can find happiness in something other than God, but eventually it will catch up to them. The most sinful people are some of the most miserable people because they're just not right with God and their soul knows it. Their soul knows it. There's this groaning for something else in life. So there's an emotional toll that sin takes. 
But, of course, there's always always a spiritual one. At the end of verse 4, David says, Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. When our souls are not right with God, we experience separation from His blessing, and we also experience separation from His strength. Let me say this. There's There's an expression that I hear people say all the time. And I want you to stop and consider this expression according to the Word of God. All right, I've heard people say this, and I know why they say this, and I know what their intentions are, but I want you to think about this biblically. Have you ever said, God will never give me more than I can handle? I've heard people say that all the time. And in some ways, there is an element of truth to that statement. But can I tell you something? When you look at the Word of God, God will purposely give you more than you can handle so that you'll run back in His arms. God will purposely give you more than you can handle. Look at this passage right here. He says right here, Your hand was heavy upon me. The sin that I was experiencing, David's saying, the sin that I was experiencing caused you, God, to put your hand on me in such a way that I could not stand the weight of conviction because of the Holy Spirit. God will put more on you than you can handle when you're living in sin so that the weight of that conviction will turn you to confession. And it is not unloving for God to do that. It is out of love that God will enable us to be miserable for a season in that misery that we come to the end of ourselves, that we can become to the beginning of Him. It's loving. It's loving for God to do that. It would not be loving for God to just allow us to have this joyful life living in sin so that at the end of our life, we've got nothing to show for it. And we're judged according to that sin. And we've got nothing before a holy God. God will do whatever it takes to get our attention on this side of heaven because He loves us and He desires to have a relationship with us. But we must confess our sin. If we're not honest and we don't turn away from it, we will not experience His blessing and we will not experience His strength. And I don't want to live a day of my life that way. I mean, in South Georgia, we ought to understand this verse better than most people. When he says, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer, Nobody in South Georgia ought to be able to stand before God and say, I don't know what that means. I know what that means. I, I remember uh, a friend of mine, and he, and he was born and raised in South Carolina, just a couple hundred miles north. <clears throat> and he went to a wedding in South Georgia, and he came back to the seminary, and he said, Bo, there's some kind of heat that I've never experienced in all my life. And I said, well, brother, praise God, you weren't in the gnat line. I said, you get between Macon and Savannah, you're going to have something else in addition to that heat's going to drive you crazy. And uh, I'm telling you, we know what heat is in South Georgia. And we know how much that heat can zap your energy. I mean, there are days, so many days that uh, I've just, and I love heat. I'll be honest with you. I mean, anyone who knows me being born and raised in Philadelphia, I got as far south as fast as I possibly could. I don't like snow. I don't like cold. Turn, turn it up. It'd be 120 degrees, a big smile on my face. But I also can tell you there are days, especially in the summer, where I, I'm confused as to why I'm so tired. The sun will absolutely zap you of energy. I mean, have you ever had a day where you laid, at, laid on the beach at Tybee? And you go back to your hotel room and take a shower, and it's only 5 or 6 o'clock, but you feel like it's midnight. You're like, man, it's been a long day. That sun just zapped me of all my energy. Well, that's a perfect metaphor spiritually for living a day in sin that we've not confessed to God. 
the weight that we feel, it zaps us of energy. We do not have a desire to do the things of God. We do not have a desire to love others the way that God has called us to. The more sinful we are, the more selfish that we are. The more that we think that we can do whatever it is that we want that makes us happy at the expense of other people. And it never does. It never does. That's a weight that we can't carry. So number one, when our sins are hidden, our souls are weary. Before I go to point two, I want to share a quote with you. I've heard this quote. I I think I've, I've shared it before in this church. There's a writer named Charles West who says these words, we turn to God for help when the foundations of our lives are shaking only to learn that it's God who's shaking them. Let me say that again. We turn to God for help when the foundations of our lives are shaking only to learn that it is God who's shaking them. We, we, can, we can lie to ourselves and say that if God is a loving God, He'll never let us suffer. That's not true. God is loving, but He is holy. And He will enable us to go through dark seasons if it will bring us back to His light. And that's a holy and loving God who does that. So number one, when our sins are hidden, our souls are wearied. Number two, when our sins are confessed, our souls are lifted. All right, verse five says, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. This is the confession of David. David saying, I acknowledge my sins to you. I didn't cover anything up. I confess to you. I admit my nature. I admit my wrongdoing. And God, I know that you're loving and I pray that you'd forgive me and I I turn away from this lifestyle. And in that, he experiences joy. And in that, he experiences that weight being lifted. Let let me say these words and, and you take a moment to consider this. David is considered a man after God's own heart. And I'll talk more about this next week in our final passage. We're going to be looking at Psalm 51 and and the confession of David after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. But we know that David was not honest all the time. We know that David was not righteous all the time. But it's important to note that a man after God's own heart is not someone who is perfect. It is someone who is repentant. Somebody who's after God's own heart is not someone who's perfect. It's somebody who's repentant. Somebody who's repentant is saying, God, my main concern is being right with you. I know I messed up. I know I said and did and thought things that don't honor you, but I'm going to be honest before you now, God. I'm going to take what's wrong and make it right, and I'm going to say, God, forgive me. I turn away from this lifestyle. I know it doesn't honor you, and Father, I want to be right with you. You know why we feel that that lifting of the burden? Because an honest heart can't be burdened by Satan. Satan is deceptive, and he's the king of prince of darkness. And what what Satan wants you to do when you're living in shame is to remain in that shame as long as possible. As long as you're so shameful that you can't confess to other people and you can't confess to God what you've done wrong, Satan's got you right where he wants you because you're living in darkness. But when you stand before God and confess specific sins that you know that you've done wrong, You take the darkness and you bring the sin to light. And once it's in light, it no longer has the power that it had in darkness. All right? Darkness hates the light. We said this last week. Darkness hates the light. 
So the more that we can confess and bring things to the light, the weight and the power of that sin is lost. And we feel the lifting of that. Again, as I said last week, it doesn't mean that sin doesn't have consequences. If you sin, you'll have to pay a price for that somehow in some way. But you'll feel the weight of that being taken off of you when you confess. And you'll have the strength of God to go through those consequences as God restores you. And I pray that for myself and for all of you. That we would experience this lifting up of our souls. Again, there's so many things in our life that weigh us down that are secondary. There's a direct correlation. There is. Between, between a life where we know that something's not right to our relationship with God that is not right. We look to our jobs, we look to our marriages, we look to our families, we look to our finances. And I'm not saying those things are going to be perfect when we're right with God, but they're in the right perspective when we're right with God. When I'm right with God, I can look at the conflict that I have in my marriage and admit that it's conflict that comes from two sinners trying to live together, and I can work on it and move forward. But when I'm not right with God... I feel the weight of that in every other area of my life. But when I confess those sins, I do feel a sense of God lifting the burden off of me. I can't carry that burden. None of us can. We cannot carry the burdens of our sins. That's why confession is such a gift. It is a gift. So number two, when our sins are confessed, our souls are lifted. And this leads us to number three. When our souls are forgiven, our When our sins are forgiven, our souls are strengthened. When our sins are forgiven, our souls are strengthened. Look at the progression of those three points. When our sins are hidden, we are wearied. When our sins are confessed, we are lifted. But when they're finally forgiven, we receive the strength of God to live the life that he's called us to live. Living in the strength of God. You know, it's one of the things that I probably pray for now more so than any point in my life. I, 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 I read a lot of books on productivity and time management. I, I want to be a good pastor. I do. Can I tell you, there's three things when it comes to managing your life. Your time, your energy, and your focus. Those are the three things that it takes to be a successful leader in the business world, in the academic world, even in the ministerial world. A person who has their time and their energy and their focus managed properly is a person who can lead others. But let me tell you something I've learned out of those three things. I need energy more than I need time or focus. I can sit down and manage my time down to the second. I can pull out a daily planner and plan my next two weeks. I can manage my time perfectly. I can also cut out all the distractions in my office and be focused. But can I tell you something? When I don't have energy, I'm useless. I believe that energy and strength is a commodity that we need to look at and manage maybe more so than any other aspect of our lives. All right? I I was telling someone this morning that the last two weeks when I was heavily medicated on antibiotics, I was on a really strong antibiotic that I don't think I've ever taken before. And I came into that office, and Jody can tell you, I was lethargic. I just, I, I couldn't get my engine going. My time was managed. I was where I was supposed to be. My calendar was perfectly organized. My focus was there. Nothing else was in the office distracting me. But I just couldn't, I just couldn't get my engine going because my energy was dried up. Well, take that to the spiritual realm. When you're living for the glory of God and your sins have been confessed and you've been forgiven and you're living for God, God gives you a second wind 
that only His Spirit can bring you. That energy to go the extra mile, to do for God what God has called us to do. That happens when we confess. That happens when we're honest. Living in the strength of God. That's what I pray for all of us, especially in this particular season, the Christmas season, where we seem to be lacking energy, where so many things take up our time. I want us all to know what it is to live in the strength of God, to confess to Him every day and say, God, I'm not perfect. I've, I've made mistakes this morning. I've been selfish. I've not done what you've called me to do. Please forgive me. And Father, please strengthen me. Give me the strength to be Jesus Christ wherever you plant me today. Let me sound like Jesus. Let me look like Jesus. Let me act like Jesus. That happens through confession. When our sins are forgiven, our souls are strengthened. That leads us to our conclusion. And our conclusion is this, pretty obvious. Only when we are honest with God about our sins can we truly experience life in His strength. Let me say that one last time. Only when we are honest with God about our sins can we truly experience life in His strength. This is the mark of spiritual maturity, our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, our honesty before God, and then our receiving of His strength when we've confessed our sins to Him. So as we close, let me just pose these questions to all of you. What area of your life would you like to experience more of the strength of God? With your children, your grandchildren, in your marriage, at your job, with your friends, with your neighbors? Do you notice times in your life when you feel absolutely powerless over certain things and you ask for God's help and He seems like He is a million miles away? When you experience this, ask yourself this question. Is there any unconfessed sin in my life that I need to confess to God right now? Ask yourself that question. Let me, cha let me challenge you right now. If you've never done this, take a notebook and a pen and get alone with God for even one hour. And get on your knees and say, God, bring to my mind anything you want right now that does not honor you, that I've said, thought, or done in my life. And when something comes to your mind, whatever it is, in the silence and solitude of your own home, start writing down things that God brings to your mind. You will be shocked at things that you never even thought of that haven't come to your mind. I did this last year. And God brought to my mind a sin that I committed at college 15 years ago. 15 years ago. I hadn't even thought about it. It had to be a God thing because it was buried so deep in my subconscious, there's no way I could possibly have remembered it. But as I was writing it down, God was bringing it to my memory. And as I got on my knees and genuinely repented and said, God, I know I wasn't a Christian then, but please forgive me for this. There's, there's a joy that I felt in confessing and lifting that up to Him and a renewal of strength that I experienced in giving that over to Him. You and I, we cannot carry the weight of our sin. All we can do is confess it. And when we do, we will experience a strength that comes only for God. And I desire and pray that for myself. And today, I pray that for all of you. Having said that, let us pray together. Heavenly Father, You are good. You have not leave, left us, nor have You forsaken us. And Father, You have given us this gift of confession. Oh, Father, be with us. 
show us areas of our life that we've never brought to the light, but we've kept deep in the darkness, that we've been carrying the weight of for so long. Father, I pray that a revival of confession would break out in this church, that we would get honest before you, and we would do some, we would do some serious soul cleaning, that we would, just like we clean our houses in the spring and fall, that we'd clean our souls by bringing to the light what's been buried in darkness. Father, let us be honest before you. Let us confess our sins to you. Help us to be honest, to stand before you as a holy God and admit where we have fallen short. Help us to confess, Father. I pray that your spirit would have his way with us in this church. Be with us, Father. And I pray upon our confession that you would forgive us and that you would renew us in your strength every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen.